Amen. Thank you, guys. And uh, they'll be back up in, in just a while again. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Central. If you're a guest of ours, my name's Craig, and it's my privilege this morning just to guide you through uh, just a few thoughts that I believe are really important when we kind of enter a season that we're in, or even close a season that we're in, a season where we want God to lead and to guide. And today, I want to take you into really some foundational principles for me that I've discovered from the text that actually drive the way I approach the, uh, the scriptures in this. As I said, we're, we're celebrating today the end of one financial year, the beginning of another one. We're celebrating what God has done. We're believing what he will do. And at the same time, we're celebrating the kind of closing of a season and of a window of discernment. Throughout this season of this Stronger Challenge, I've really laid one question out there for you, and it's simply, would you be willing to pray and ask God what he wants you to do in this Stronger Challenge season? And we're celebrating the fact that as you have sought God, and as God has led you, so in leading you, he leads us. I believe that Wow, that was loud, wasn't it? Uh, I believe that it's really important for us all to, to acknowledge the fact that in many seasons of life, God leads leaders through the way he leads his people. What we've asked you to do in this season is simply to put the example of Jesus at the forefront of what you do and to make his example your experience. Jesus' philosophy of life and ministry was really easy. In John, he basically says, I only say what the Father tells me to say. And then later in John, I think it's John 12, he says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. That was his mission. I'm only gonna say what the Father tells me to say. I'm only gonna do what the Father tells me to do. And so we've said, listen, in order for us to discern God's will, would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to ask the Father what he wants you to do in this stronger season? And I've done that, and we've done that, because there is a principle for discernment that leaders need to recognize. You see, while it is true that more often than not, God leads his people through his leaders, it is also true that in special seasons, in mission critical seasons, in stronger seasons, that God leads his leaders through his people. This is the way discernment works. You see, there are times when God granted his leaders a vision of the future. He gave them a picture of the future, but then how that future was unveiled and unfolds is a direct result of the actions of people. Too many times leaders are aware of the fact that we have the responsibility to lead God's people but we are unaware of the fact that in mission-critical seasons, like we're in right now, it is true to say that God uses people to direct his leaders. And I want to show you that from the Scriptures. 
If you think about it, this principle that you're looking at is probably rung true in your life too. That God has granted you a picture of the future and as you start to walk in it, it becomes clear that that future actually has unfolded before you as you've responded to the actions of people. And as people have responded to the leading of the Holy Spirit themselves. Let me give you an example. Vipka and I were in London, it was the year uh, 2000. And at the close of the year 2000, Vipka and I really sensed that God was doing something to move us into ministry back onto mainland Europe. We were in London at the time. And that wasn't something that became easy to Vipka. And as we began to share, well, the way that God was just inclining our hearts and directing our minds to our small group, of, to our small group and our friends in our small group in London, they naturally thought that this was Vipka being a little bit homesick. Oh, she just wants to go back to mainland Europe, into Germany. You know, she's German, she's homesick. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, to be, to be candid with you, she was um, struggling with that because there was, you see, a season in our early married life where we lived in Germany just before I did my post-grad work, and quite honestly, it was a hellish experience for me. I couldn't speak the language. I felt that our friends were actually her friends. I felt, you know, too far away from home. And what happened to me as a result was I became insular. I isolated myself. I distanced myself. Rather than assuming responsibility for things, I said, this is your country. This is your health system. This is yours, yours, yours. You need to do it. And Vipka honestly felt like she'd lost a husband and gained a child. Maybe some of you have been in environments like that, where you've been put into an environment where all of a sudden you you take steps back from responsibility. That was where we were at. And so in this conversation, in this discerning process, Vipka said, Craig, you know, I sense the Lord leading us to do this as well, but there's one thing that I really struggle with. I can't have that Craig back. Are you really sure about this? Are you really sure you that you're feeling this way. And as we prayed about it, we sensed the Lord leading us to that point. And so an opportunity opened up for us in the German city of Dusseldorf. We went through the process, the the church there sent their search team over to us, and uh, there was a guy by the name of Jock, a Scottish guy with a real Scottish name, actually uh, came and visited us, and everything seemed to be moving that direction. It was a Tuesday evening, the night before, they were going to make the decision the next day, and Vipka um, and I decided to pray. And as we prayed that night, God spoke so clearly in a direct way to us both. And we discerned that it was not God's will for us to go to Dusseldorf. Now, this freaked me out. There are a number of ways God speaks, by the way. God speaks through decree where he simply decrees it to be so, and he'll speak directly, and he speaks through discernment. This was a way that God directly spoke to Vipka and I, and we were were blissfully aware, totally aware, that we should not go to Dusseldorf. But I didn't get it. We felt led to go this route. We felt led to to put put ourselves and our family through this process, and now the night before, God speaks and says, so far and no further, Have any of you had a situation like that? It just doesn't make sense then, does it? And I'm like, Vipka, this doesn't make sense. But we both sensed Dusseldorf was not the place. 
One of the hardest phone calls I've ever had to make was that phone call to Jock and say, Jock, Vipka and I were praying and uh, we're really sorry, but uh, we don't think that we're the, the people that the church, uh, that God wants for the church. Uh, Jock, it's not us. And we had a conversation and, and he tried to get us to change our mind, which was a, a really nice thing to be on the other end of actually. Uh, and I said, Jock, it's not us. And so I put down the phone and entered into a season where, God, what's going on? You led us this way, and now we, we're dealing with the fact that we're in no man's land. See, facts do that, don't they? Facts deal with the present reality. That's where, the fact is, that's where we were, no man's land. God led us a certain direction, now we hit a brick wall, and the fact is, what? We entered into the season of uncertainty, but the truth was God had given us a picture and that the truth doesn't just deal with the present, the truth deals with the future as well. About four weeks, four to four weeks after that two week period, I got a phone call from Hamburg, Germany. It turns out that Jock from Dusseldorf really did believe that we were called to be in an English language work in mainland Europe and sent my details to a church that I was totally unaware of, knew nothing about. They only advertised this position in the States. I would never have found it. And then through the actions of people, Vipke and I were led into the future that God had for us. See, the truth about discernment is this. Discernment is something that basically involves prayer, it takes time, and it often runs in an unpredictable way. Even when God gives you a picture of where you want to be and where he wants you to be, at times, as Brad said last week, you know, you, you, take, the, you take the step the step of obedience. You launch into this, and either through the actions of people or the leading of God, you find yourself in a position where you can't go forward anymore. That's more often than not the way that discernment works. Because discernment through, through life is rarely about the destination. Remember what Brad said last week? It's actually about the journey, the dependent journey. And for me in this season, maybe for you in this season or in another season, and we're about to discover, even for the Apostle Paul in the text, it is true that discernment involves prayer, it takes time, and as you walk into the future that God has for you, it's totally unpredictable. The future rarely runs in a logical and a linear fashion. We need to be dependent upon the Spirit of God. And I believe that what was true for me in that season where God led us to Hamburg. What was true for the Apostle Paul in the text that we're about to look at is also true for us as a church. God has given us a, an unmistakable vision of the future. But what I recognize is that in mission critical seasons, the future rarely happens in a predictable way. God wants us to be dependent. And in mission-critical seasons, God leads his leaders through the actions of his people. So now I've laid the foundation. Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. 
If you haven't brought a copy of the scriptures with you, uh, you can follow along with us by simply raising your hands in the air and our ushers will give you a copy of the scriptures and then once you've received the scriptures, you can turn with me to page 1113. So Acts chapter 19. What we're gonna discover is that God gave Paul a vision of the future And that vision of the future did not happen in a predictable way, but Paul was led where God wanted him to be, and in mission-critical seasons, that involved the actions of people. And again, this is important because this is the way discernment always works. It's the leader's responsibility to champion the vision, but in mission-critical seasons, it's the people's responsibility to discern what God wants them to do. And when the people do that and the leaders do their job, God leads us where he wants us to be. Do you believe that? You're not sure, do you believe that? It's always true. God leads us where he wants us to be, and nothing. For Paul, not even the evil intentions of people could stop God's will being done. God's will will be done. And as we go through the process of discernment, we realize what God wants, and we realign our interpretation alongside, we put it alongside God. So Acts chapter 19, this is where our story begins. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Okay, pretty simple text. After all of this had happened, the Ephesian elders, what I call the the next Pentecost in Acts 19, after all of this had happened, the text says that Paul wanted to go somewhere. Where did he want to go? Look at the text, where did he want to go? He wanted to go firstly to Jerusalem. He wanted to go to Jerusalem. How many of you are reading a new international version here? Okay, how many of you are reading a different version? In your text, do you notice something? In your text, it actually says he decided through the Spirit, or in the Spirit, the ESV, the New King James Version, the King James Version, the Holman Study Bible. Okay, a lot of versions. The NIV, for some reason, determines to put in the Spirit as a footnote. So if you read it in the, ver- in the New International Version, after the word decided, there'll be the little letter, okay? It's, I think it's the letter B. Follow the B down to the bottom of the page to the footnote, and then you read the words in the Spirit. So Paul decided in the Spirit, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, to go to Jerusalem. The NIV removes that to a footnote, either because they consider it to be superfluous to the text, or because we're about to discover some truths about discernment that appear at first to be contradictory, but they're not. So what I need you to know, first of all, is that Paul decided in the spirit to to go to, firstly, Jerusalem. Do we know why he wanted to go there? It doesn't tell us in the text, right? But then he wants to go somewhere else. The next part of it says he wants to go to Rome. 
The text says, I must also go to Rome. Commentators point out that when the word must is used by an apostle in, a, in this kind of fashion, it speaks of what is called the divine day, D-E-I. It's the divine compulsion. So God has given Paul a vision of places he needs to go. He's given him a picture of the future. There's been a revelation through the Spirit that he needs to go to Jerusalem and he needs to go to Rome. So this is where we start. Paul, an apostle, given a vision of the future, very simple, the Spirit is leading me to Jerusalem and Rome. What's the motivation for this? We're not told. One year later, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, Romans. One year after, Acts chapter 19 approximately, and he writes these words. I plan to visit you, okay, I plan to do so, to visit you when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there from Macedonia and Achaia. Notice those two places were mentioned in Acts chapter 19. Same encounter we're talking about. We're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So after I have completed this task, that's why he's going to Jerusalem, and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Acts 19, God has given Paul a vision of the future. That vision involves going to two places. First place, Jerusalem. Second place, Rome. These are spirit-led intentions. He's got that picture. We don't know what motivates him, but now we do. One year later, that intention is still there. One year after he said it in Acts 19, he's still saying it, and he's now in print for doing so. So why does he want to go to Jerusalem? Firstly, he wants to go to Jerusalem because he's got money to take to the Jewish believers. That's one part of Paul's job description. He was given two tasks. He was the apostle to the Gentiles to preach the gospel to Gentiles, but also to raise money amongst the Gentiles for the Jewish believers who are suffering in Jerusalem. So that's motivation number one. I'm going there, he says, that's his interpretation. I'm going there, he says, to give money to the the Jews. And secondly, he says, I'm going to Rome as a means to get to Spain. If you read Romans 15, it's in there twice. Now this is really important only to note that Paul has been given a vision of the future by the Spirit of God that leads him to go places, to do things. To Jerusalem, he interprets going to Jerusalem simply along the lines of giving the money to the Jerusalem believers that has been given by the Gentiles. And then he believes, he interprets this, that he is now gonna go from Jerusalem to Spain via Rome as a stopping off point. That's his interpretation of this. That's what he thinks. Before I take us into the next chapter, what I'd like to do is just to take you back a few chapters. Go back to Acts chapter nine with me. This text is really important because in this text, in Acts chapter nine, we get the perspective of how God views Paul's mission. Acts chapter nine deals with the conversion of Saul as he was before his name was changed to Paul. 
Jesus appears to him on the Damascus Road. He goes blind, and then the Spirit comes to to Ananias, a guy by the name of Ananias, saying, this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to go to Paul, to Saul. Ananias says, are you kidding me? This is the guy that's trying to kill everyone, and you want, that? you want me to go to him? And then God repeats himself. Have a look at this in verse 15, Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Notice this. What's God's vision for Paul? He's to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but he will preach to their kings. And then, the last, verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This is God's will for Paul. Told to Ananias, and in the text we're not told that Ananias tells Paul that. Isn't it remarkable that sometimes God will will reveal something about our future to someone else that leads them to do something for us that we may not fully know. But later on, as we take the next step, and we realize that there's a roadblock in front of us and we take a sidestep, eventually we get to the point of realizing that was God's will for us all along. This is gonna happen to Paul. He had a vision of the future, he had a picture of where he wanted to be, but he didn't know the end. All he would do was just take the next step. And as he took the next step, the Spirit of God would speak to him. And so when we join the story in Acts chapter 19, Paul thinks that he is going to Jerusalem to carry on the work, everything is going to be fine, and from there he's going to go to Rome in order to get to Spain and to keep spreading the gospel further and further and further afield. That's what he thinks. But what we know now is that God had a different plan. God was going to use Paul to speak to Gentile kings. And he would do that on the way to Rome but he would do it in chains. He would do it through suffering. And so with this as background, go back to Acts chapter 20, into the next chapter. Paul now is on the way to uh, Jerusalem, and what we start to discern here is how God's strategy for Paul's ministry starts to take place. Acts chapter 20, and I want to read verses 22 and 23. He's been in Ephesus. He's had a little bit of heartache in Ephesus. And then he decides to leave them and head towards Jerusalem. Look at what we read, verses 22 and 23. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I know only that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Do you see the different tone here? Do you see the shift? Here he says to them, look, the Ephesians, I'm going to Jerusalem. But his interpretation now is starting to shift. From this idea of going there under my own speed, under my own volition, under my own steam, now he says, I'm going there, and, and what I know is, Somehow, this is my fate. Persecution is starting to kick in with Paul. It started in Acts 9, if you read it, but you can start to see that, hey, wait a minute. 
something is shifting. You see, even for the Apostle Paul, he has a vision for the future, and he takes the next step into that vision, and what happens? He becomes increasingly aware of something else going on. Why? Because the future in critical seasons doesn't always run in a logical and a linear fashion. That's why living as a follower of Jesus under the same motto that Jesus did is so critical. Only say what the Father wants you to say, only do what the Father wants you to do. That's our discipleship methodology here. It's based on two things, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's all Jesus had, that's his only resource. He had the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God revealed the will of God to him through the Word of God. To clearly discern what God wants you to do, this is the same thing. God will give you, he'll speak into your spirit a vision for your future, and then our first response, as Brad said last week, is step into it. Take the next step. But take the next step knowing that the future doesn't always run in a straight line. It's not about the destination, it's about the journey, because on the journey, you increasingly discern what it is that God wants you to do. Sad to say that this is not the way that most Christians live today. We always live a few days away from the Holy Spirit. I heard about a pastor who was invited to a conference, to speak at a conference, and uh, he was thrilled to do this, but he wrote back and said, can you give me a couple of weeks? I, I need to live, uh, I need to uh, take a couple of weeks to discern this. And the organizing committee wrote back and said, sorry, we don't, um, we don't want you to come. We don't want anybody speaking in our conference that lives two weeks away from the Holy Spirit. The point in that story is actually we're supposed to live immediately, in the constantly in the presence of the Spirit, discerning every step of the way what God wants us to do. But sometimes discernment takes time. It involves prayer, and it doesn't run smooth. So now Paul's got an idea that something is going to happen. Into Acts chapter 21, look at this with me. Now we start to see that it becomes aware, more people become aware of this. Acts chapter 21 and verse four. On his way towards Jerusalem. We sought out the disciples there, this is entire. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Now look at this. Through the spirit they urged Paul, what? Not to go to Jerusalem. Hello, are you starting to see this? Maybe now you can understand why the NIV drops in the spirit from verse chapter 20, because it seems in the beginning initially to be a contradiction. Paul seems led by the spirit to go to Jerusalem, and now you've got a group of disciples praying with Paul, and through this prayer meeting, they are, what? Through the spirit, they warn Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Again, what have we got to understand about discernment? What have we got to understand about discerning God's will? There are two components to it. The first is the revelation, the picture of the future. That's from God. The picture of the future is from God. Paul, you will go to Jerusalem and you will go to Rome. That's from God, that doesn't change. But where we need to be careful is with the interpretation of it. See, God grants these disciples entire a picture of Paul's future and it was Paul in chains. They're praying and they see Paul in chains. And what do they do with this? They interpret this. They interpret this as, don't go there. Two components to discerning God's will. 
what God reveals to you in your heart, in your spirit. And the second component of discernment, how you interpret it or how you apply it. The picture to these Tyre, disciples of Tyre, was absolutely right. Paul would be in chains. But you know what? The general feeling is it's not good for any Christian to suffer, right? I was in a, a meeting with a Turkish pastor who was overseeing a revival in Turkey. A thousand men had come to faith in Jesus Christ in an incredible way, but unfortunately, as a result of this, they were experiencing incredible persecution. Now, Turkey wants to become part of the European Union, and in order for that to happen, the European Union has stipulated that they have to allow freedom of worship. Of course, Turkey says we do, but the reality on the ground is that's not the case. And I found myself in a meeting like that with all of these pastors and a number of these pastors said, we need to pray for God to stop this because this isn't right. And I'm like, hang on a second. The gospel is spreading because of persecution and the reality of faith. Why do we want to stop this? It is so easy for us when it comes to suffering and change to interpret, hey, don't go there. The idea of suffering for our faith, sacrificing for our faith, is something that is being lost from the Western church that is being so comfortable. And so God gives these disciples a tie of the picture of the future for Paul. He would be in chains, and they incorrectly interpret that to say, don't go. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, I'm going. Some people say, did Paul disobey the Spirit? No, he obeyed the Spirit. But discernment isn't easy, folks. Discerning God's will isn't easy when God has given you a vision for the future. And so he goes. Now further on in our text, he actually goes now to Caesarea by the sea. That's a beautiful little town on the Mediterranean and uh, Paul gets there. And when he gets there, he goes into the house of a guy by the name of Philip. Philip is the guy from Act 7 fame. He's one of the the diakonos in Acts chapter six that served the church faithfully and then under the leading of the Holy Spirit took the gospel to the Samaritans and an incredible work happened there. It's that Philip. Philip had four daughters, they're prophetesses. So the impression we get from the text then is as Paul enters Philip's house, he is entering a house where God was all over this place. And as they're there in the house, Agabus, kind of the prophet and one of the prophets in the church, spontaneously, verse, uh, we read this from verse 10, just comes down from Jericho. And he comes down from Jericho, he enters the house and look with me at what we read in verse 11. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now look at this, when, what does it say? We heard this. Notice in the beginning it says, and they came over to us. Agabus came over to us, who's us? Paul and Luke. Luke, the guy who wrote Acts. Luke never said anything entire. The text said they warned us. 
Not we warned him. Luke was thinking, yeah, Paul's got this one right. We're on the way to Jerusalem. But all of a sudden, the prophet comes down. Agabus comes down. He does this. He comes over to them. He basically ties Paul up. And now Luke is joining in with with this and saying, Paul, don't go. Don't go. So notice what's going on here again then. What we see going on here is Agabus comes down. Ties him up. Agabus has a picture of the future for Paul. And yet again, now Luke joins in and says, don't go. Notice with that text, please, Agabus doesn't say a word. Agabus doesn't tell Paul not to go. He just tells Paul what's going to happen. Paul, this is in your future. You see, a wise sage realizes there is a distinction between the revelation that God gives you and actually the interpretation that you give it. That's why in 1 Corinthians, in the passage of spiritual gifts, it tells us to eagerly discern what the Spirit is saying. That word discern means separate what is from God and what is from man. When leaders, even like Paul, walk into the future, they recognize it's one thing to have a picture of that future, it's quite another thing to adequately appreciate how that future will unfold. So what do we do? Last week's message, take the next step. Take the next step. And as Paul takes this step, Increasingly, that picture of the future about going to Jerusalem becomes clear about what it will entail. It will entail hardship, imprisonment, punishment. But that's what God told Ananias right in the very beginning. This guy will suffer much for my name. And the truth is, Paul only became aware of what his future held as he continued to take the next step and the next step. Because the truth is, the future, even God's future, doesn't happen in a straight line. It's unpredictable. And what we discover, if you were to read from Acts 21 through until the end of the book of Acts, you realize that Paul is led into his future from this moment on through the actions of people. He goes to Rome. He encounters hostility in the temple. They imprison him. He's then taken in chains back to Caesarea by the sea. And there in Caesarea by the sea, King Agrippa had a palace. And there, I think it's in Acts 26, you can read it, Paul preached and shared the gospel before Gentile kings in chains. Not under his own steam. He was led into the future through the actions of people. And from there, he goes on to Rome. And in Rome, he's in chains. And there in Rome, he continues to spread the gospel to the center of the known world, there in Rome. Paul knew he would end up in Rome, but he didn't know he would end up in Rome like this until the step before. Some people say, why would God want Paul in chains? We don't know the answer to that, but I'm struck by this text. Philippians chapter one, written by Paul in chains in Rome. And look at what he says. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. My favorite word in that passage, actually. It's as if Paul is saying, you'd never believe this, but this is actually really good. Do you think Paul signed up to suffer for Jesus? No. In a few moments, you're gonna hear stories of people for whom they're celebrating God's faithfulness and God's grace over the last year, but it's hardly been a good year. Bad stuff has happened. And yet you're gonna hear them say, you know what? Actually, this is the worst of times and the best of times. When God speaks to you, when God speaks to me, when God speaks to the church, there are two components that we need to constantly hold in mind. It begins with the revelation of the future. It begins with a picture, we call that a vision. Vision is a picture of the future that hasn't happened yet, but through the Spirit of God, we've been granted insight and access to it. And then there comes that interpretation of it, the way that we think that future will happen. How many of you like me in the Dusseldorf story have had a picture of something, a sense, an inner yearning? Maybe it wasn't a picture that you could see, but there was this compulsion that just led you forward somewhere. And you've gone that way, believing God was in there, and all of a sudden, there's just this brick wall. Right, and you're thinking, God, you led me this way? In that moment, remember again, the fact deals with the reality of what is, but the truth takes you into the future. Fact deals with the present, the truth takes you into the future. The reality is if God led you this way, he's gonna lead you. Either sidestep to go straight forward, but he will lead you where he wants you to be. And church, that's true for us too. We've been in a season where I've just encouraged and pleaded with you, just do what Jesus wants you to do. Just. Nothing more is required, nothing less will do. Why do I say that? Because I honestly believe this to be true. In mission critical seasons, God's leaders are led forward by his people. Where are we gonna be at the result of this with regard to our stronger challenges? Exactly where God wants us to be. And church, I rejoice in that. Our responsibility as leaders is to just seek God's heart and say, God, what picture have you got for us for the future? And it's the responsibility of the congregation to discern God's will and to do God's will. And at the end of this, when tomorrow night the elders and I and Pastor Mike and Pastor Lynn, we sit in the room and we say, we say, what has God said to his people? It's in that moment we can take the next step. That's the way it always works. It works like that for us, corporately, and it works like that for you individually. But let me encourage you all When it comes to discernment, to be a people who actively live in the presence of God, constantly saying, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And as God gives you that glimpse of that reality, just recognize the danger and the challenge actually comes to how you interpret it. And this is where we enter in. Our own emotions, our own desires, our own thoughts. And the Bible says, God's ways are not our ways. 
his thoughts and not our thoughts. And so what do we need to do? Take the next step. Take the next step. Church, be the type of people that believes that God still delights in giving his people a vision for their tomorrow. And don't be timid, be bold. Step into it, knowing that God will lead you every step of the way. And as he leads you, just recognize that like Paul in Philippians chapter one, you too will be able to look back and you will be able to say, wow, God has led, God has spoken. And so today, our stronger challenge for the discernment period ends. Many of you, hundreds of you have already made a commitment. Some of you are still praying that through. Some of you may well have forgotten your commitment cards. There are some in the row. You can still have time at, towards, uh, as we draw the service to a close, complete the card and just take it to the box that's there at the information table. But in this moment, this is time to thank God. Over the last year, God has led us. God has done great things. And we're thankful. And what you're gonna see now is just a video of people in our worship arts ministry looking back over the last year, thanking God for his faithfulness to them. Take a look at this with me. I've been bombarded with thoughts of, uh, of not really measuring up, of being a mistake, uh, things, messages that I've, I've heard from my past from different people. And what's really cool is finally, I had just the, the strength to really say that that's a lie and that God knew me from eternity past. He knows my name. He calls me by name. I'm, I'm his. I'm his son. I was engaged to be married about a year and a half ago and the engagement was broken off just suddenly and I all of a sudden just felt so lost and so alone. My plans just completely shifted. Um, so I just kind of trusted God and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I just followed him and um, leaned on him completely because I was so broken and so hurt by what happened. I have a family member who has had cancer for many years. And also we've had, I've had a lot of family members that I'm really praying for and have been for a lot of years to come to know the Lord. And also I've had some physical issues that I've had for many years and it's pretty chronic. And there's times I go to bed at night and I, he wakes me up and he says, Ruth, be still and know that I am God. Well, I thought about this a lot this year because I hit the big 9-0. And my wife is going to be 89 in June. And uh, we've been married 66 years. And the Lord has been very faithful. I am experiencing, and she is too, good health. We thank the Lord every day for the light of a new day. Thank you. Uh, this past year, like as a college student, uh, you face so many things. You get a lot thrown at you, adversities, hardships, and just through that mess, you can just get lost. And through that, through prayer, uh, reading His Word, you can just feel His faithfulness guide me through rough waters. Uh, there's no one more lovely, there's no one more worthy than Jesus Christ. This past year has faced a lot of uh, difficulties and a lot of inconsistency with relationships in my life and people coming and people going. But um, one of the things that has been constant is 
the fact that God is still there and he's been providing me with people that love me well and people that care for me. And he has really just shown his faithfulness through that. 10, 12 months ago, uh, Carla's twin sister was diagnosed with bile duct cancer. Uh, Laura passed away this past uh, February. Just prior to that, I had been hospitalized for five days here in Holland with a condition that was uh, identified as sepsis. We're promised that when we go through deep waters, when we go through fire, not if, but when, that he is with us. Gabe has had several different um, medical issues that um, have been a surprise to us. Gabe was ready to start his travel baseball season and he broke his wrist at school and um, he wasn't able to pitch for several um, months. And then he was finally cleared to pitch um, and then he started to walk with a limp and we took him into the doctor and found out that he um, had a slipped hip socket that needed surgery to repair that. And um, he was just about to, you know, start that travel season again after being cleared. And we were super discouraged, but in all of it, Gabe was so positive about it. And um, through it all, um, God was faithful. In January, I was uh, diagnosed with uh, brain cancer. And uh, Gail and I have both seen uh, God working through this uh, in terms of uh, just our people that uh, came forward and just surrounded us with, with love and all the help that we needed uh, throughout it up to this point. And it's uh, just been a, a wonderful, amazing experience of um, God's grace and love. Yeah, I, I often say it's um, it's amazingly terrible, but amazingly beautiful what we've been living through.